and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. The dynamic duo of ski racing gurus, Ben Clark and Marcel Mathis, join me on an action-packed episode from high drama of Kitzbühel to the subdued night slalom in Schladming and everything in between. Lots to get through, guys, but what about Kitzbühel? You've got to love the speed races at Kitzbühel. <laughs> they are great fun. It's really weird seeing it without fans, but it still never fails to uh, entertain in both, I guess, good and bad ways. Um, we saw a lot of crashes, um, which I know uh, made you quite mad over the weekend, Ed, uh, on, on both days, I think. But it was very, very strange watching Kitzbühel without fans. It was weird that that's the first race I noticed them pumping sound in at the finish area. I don't know if that was just on TV or if that was live. So, so I, I got to the bottom of why that was and what, what that was all about. So apparently uh, the Austrian organisers did a thing on an app that you could basically choose your sound and it would all sort of integrate into it based on what sound you wanted to pick for what racer. So that was basically sort of crowd noise fake crowd noise from home random uh, okay that was because that was strange because there was it was like a pause between when people crossed the line and when this weird cheering started and there was the occasional <laughs> air horn after someone had finished i was like what is what is going on um but there, there did appear to be i think there was one person quite near the top that had an actual air horn um, and that must have been really off-putting racing in virtual silence apart from one guy with an air horn it's almost more <laughs> off-putting than just having thousands of people screaming because it's just a wall of noise just one person seems really strange that's the sort of thing that you could if they were slagging you off you'd be able to hear it crystal clear uh, Marcel what was your take on it I mean I actually I thoroughly enjoyed it it was I thought it was one of the most exciting races I've seen in a long time both of them really all of them um, I know you were a bit complaining about the safety, et cetera, and the crashes, as Ben said, but I thought it was really exciting. And, you know, Kidsville, you come there and it's just always, it delivers, doesn't it? Um, and it did deliver this year again. There was like a lot of wild rides. The slope looked actually a lot tougher than they said beforehand because a lot of athletes said it's, it's quite mellow, which it definitely wasn't. Um, so it was, it was a really good weekend. Firstly, I've had a bit of time to calm down. I was I was quite annoyed at the, <laughs> at the especially at the first at the first uh, race. But yeah, the last thing you want to say when you're in Kitzbühel is that it's a bit mellow because you know the course workers. If you say that, the course workers guys are going to be out there just pouring salt water, probably <laughs> adding a little snow snake in there or something, just you know making it brute more brutal. There's an army of undercover ninjas working on the hill to just make you regret saying it um what's that you said it's too easy all right we'll see about that <laughs> <laughs> all right let's chop some let's chop some stuff in there yeah, there's a couple of banana skins lying around maybe a couple of super mario turtle shells coming at you um but yeah no i i i still think that final jump for me was a risk that just didn't need to be taken. I, I tweeted about it, just sort of that jump has been slowly creeping back in for about 10 years. Cause it's, it's about a decade or so ago, isn't it? Since McCartney and Danny Albrecht had those huge crashes yeah. and, and something that will live long in, in any ski racer that's watched Kitzbühel then it's certainly at the forefront of a lot of people's memories when it comes to Kitzbühel. 
And that was a big jump then. And then they cut it out and it's sort of slowly been creeping back in. Uh, and for me, just it, it was just a risk too far. I mean, the guys have survived the Hanukkah, uh, ripping down there at best part of 90 plus miles an hour. Mm. Uh, and it just didn't, for me, it's just didn't, didn't, it's a risk too far. If anything, the getting air on that jump is purely for show at that point, because yeah. it's not difficult. I'm, I'm picking my words carefully um, in, in terms of saying it's not difficult to, to, <laughs> to do the having card, but that last jump, it's not a, a bad angle. It's not in the middle of a turn, but like you said, they've done all of the hard bits. It's, it's almost just like a ooh moment for the crowd as the mm. person's come into the end to grab a bit of air whilst they're going close to 90 miles an hour. Um, but uh, oh, we were talking about it briefly before we started recording and there was quite a bit made. The race did get called off after 30 people for higher winds. And I wonder if the wind was just playing a bit more havoc. So it wasn't so much the height of the jump, more so the the, the, the wind just catching people off balance uh, and, and possibly affecting them in that way. Yeah, the wind definitely paid a part. And that really pissed me off as well, to be fair. The fact that they uh, cancelled the race after 30, that, that, that was very annoying. But you, when you're travelling that far and you're that high off the ground, even a small, you know, a small amount of wind has a big effect. The higher off the ground you are, the more effect you, it'll it'll give you. So it's one of those things. Yeah. Then the next day they they short they moved the takeoff back. They obviously shaved down the lip of the jump just to keep your the trajectory a little bit closer to the ground. I'd uh, if you haven't had a look yet, go check out. Um, the ski racing podcast.com and go on the watch button. And uh, we've done a little analysis of the jump uh, side by side, first day to second day. Uh, so it's quite interesting to see the difference in length, a little bit shorter, not hugely shorter, but it certainly cut out a lot of the airtime. But what did, and what annoyed me about them cutting the race short was the fact that it was very windy from a about 23 or 24 something like that mm -hmm. and the organizers are there trying to get the 30 through the start gate to make sure that we got a race and it felt like the priority was to get 30 races out of the start gate and the minute they got those 30 they canned it straight away so if it's too if it was too dangerous it wasn't like it was a hold and then oh you know we'll try it was a case of bib 30 pushes out the start gate bib 31 you're not going, it's too dangerous. So for me, that means that Bib 30 was too dangerous. Bib 29 was probably too dangerous and like, and so on and so on. So it, it didn't really sit right with me. It felt like the, it was a bit of cannon fodder, which may sound a bit harsh to the organizers and just my opinion, but I feel like it's, you know, they just wanted to get them out of the gate. And the minute they got that, that magic number, it was, it was game over. And frustratingly for somebody like Odomat, uh, who was looking for looking for points? Um, it meant that he didn't even get a shot, Marcel. Yeah, I mean, like it was it was very unfortunate uh, how they've handled it. But I guess you always have to see it from from two sides, right? I mean, they want to get the race races done because there are not that many downhills in the season either. So, like, obviously, you want to try everything to get it get it into the finish and make it count. Um, and I mean. Marcus Waldner wasn't there. Uh, maybe he would have decided differently. Who knows? But it was definitely not, well, it wasn't right, but it also wasn't wrong because you you, you just want to get, I mean, 
we've all been in that situation you would hate to go after 30 but then you would love to not go because you know it's dangerous so it's like always it's always a tough decision to make um and i mean i feel for them like it's 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 one of the most important races in the, in the season so you kind of want to make it count yeah i mean i'm not i'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that it was an easy decision one way or the other and and i understand it and i wonder whether marcus valdner was sitting sitting at home hopefully on the men from his uh, covid isolation thinking that he was quite thankful that wasn't his decision to make <laughs> um get to the couple of the, the big injuries korean bull um was obviously helicoptered off uh, horrendous looking for sort of you know made a, it was a bit of a tough watch and it turned out he has a severe concussion a fractured collarbone and an acl and mcl tear ryan cochran siegel had a only a small neck fracture a fracture of one of the vertebrae in his neck which is insane that he walked away from that because he hit those nets you know pretty much 90 degrees wasn't it It was a it wasn't sort of a slide along those nets it was a real smash straight into the a net and pulled half of it out of the ground yeah that's not the way you're supposed to go into those nets those are supposed to kind of catch you as your momentum's starting to come across that fall away um quite early on my pick for that first downhill uh crazy max franz almost ended up in them but called his effort quite early and just went I'm not making the gate I'm not trying and and skied it off and there's been previous years where we've seen a lot more people do that and, and, and ski out without really trying to hang on for dear life and ending up in the nets uh, but Cochrane Seagulls like you said the angle he went in yeah you're I couldn't quite work out what what happened he just kind of when he landed the jump he just kind of got high-sided and it just kind of mm. threw all his momentum straight before he had the chance to get his energy going across the hill where where the course is taking you yeah it happened so quickly actually um we've got an interview from a uh, podcast listener who works for fm fear which is uh, fm4 that Austrian radio station a guy called chris cummins chris thank you if you're listening who actually interviewed Marcus Waldner and he talks about uh, the changes they're planning on making to Kitzbühel in the summer months. It won't be Marcus. He wasn't there. <laughs> oh, did I say Marcus? Yeah. Yeah, or, or Hannah Strinkle, either either way. He spoke to he spoke to the big cheese. <laughs> I wondered what you were shaking your head at there. Yeah, thanks for that. that wrong one, wrong one. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can listen to that, to uh, Hannah Strinkle, the, the man who was actually there. You can listen to that just now. He said, uh, first of all, that they had listened to the criticism during training, but there are other factors involved, such as kind of cutting down the speed of the skiers uh, after the house bear counter, because you also don't want uh, racing skiers coming through at 150 kilometres per hour into uh, the finishing arena. He also said that in future years from now on, they're going to have to come up with a, a concept to make that jump uh, safer. We have seen horrible accidents from Scott McCartney and from Daniel Albrecht in the past, about a decade ago. Uh, this is what he said. Uh, for sure, in the future, we plan some, uh, some earthwork, uh, also some correction of the terrain there and also correction of the net uh, and try to bring down the speed. That's the most important thing, especially on the traverse, but especially for the finished jump in future. Thanks for that, Chris. Marcel, what do you sort of think is the 
the likely changes that they could make to somewhere like Kitzbühel? I mean, what they're talking about is I think they're putting the nets a bit further down. So you can obviously put the gates further down as well and then go more across the hill rather than down the hill. Um, so that should actually take a bit of speed off into the last bit um, because you carry the speed all over the traverse into the last bit. And when you go across the hill, you obviously take less speed into there. So that's what they are doing, um, what I've been reading about. Um, but I'm not quite sure, like, obviously, how much it's going to do. Now. It's always very unfortunate if someone crashes, but it can always happen. And if they wouldn't have, like, a proper jump down there, it would probably be better as well. And they didn't have one for a while. So I think the combination of both will probably do, do a good. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Because we talked about this the other week with... I think it was to do with Christofferson and the GSs and, and the course setting versus the, the injuries and, and bits and pieces. And it's, it's, must, it's really difficult because the course setters know what they're doing every year. And even on downhills where the course is predominantly the same every year, the course setters are doing their best to manage the speed of the racer. And the racer is doing absolutely everything they can to defy the course setter and go as fast as they possibly can. And, and somewhere in there, You've got to put some nets in case it goes wrong. Um, and it, it will be fascinating to see what you can do with the shape of a mountain and where the nets are to, to try and fix it. But it's, you know, the, the racers also need to understand just what the course setters are trying to do when, they, yeah. when they're trying to slow you down. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, throw in a massive skid anywhere, but understand when your speed is trying to be reduced and when they're okay with you going close to 100 miles an hour but i mean ultimately those nets did exactly what they were supposed to do you know they stopped him traveling through the nets and into trees and uh, and doing some serious damage and to walk away from that i mean i know that he's, he's broken a, a bone in his neck but he literally did walk away from it uh, and was sitting in the finish area yes with a with a neck collar on the, the two days later for the second downhill but you know those nets did what they were supposed to do and we've seen it and we'll talk about it later in Cran montana that uh, Esther Ledecker hit those she hit the A nets um, but at a different angle and she got fully away with it and she skied the very next day uh, so the, the nets are doing what they're supposed to be doing but also on top of that interview from Hannes Trinkle Chris also spoke to the lead medic at the Kitzbühel race and he talks about exactly what goes into a day in the life on race day for those guys. Dr. Rainer Hoyer standing in his red emergency suit in front of the shiny yellow helicopter, which is on standby just to the left of the finishing line. And I asked him about the medical team here at the race. I wanted to know how they prepare to get quick medical help to any injured skiers. There are also emergency doctors uh, on the ski slope. On uh, every hazard position, there are doctors. I think today it will be about eight uh, doctors. I'm also in this team and uh, we have a contact. Um, we are watching the race on the TV screen and when we saw an accident, uh, then um, they are going to the patient. Then you have to make a first check what is going on. Will he stand up or will he lay on the, on the snow? Uh, and then we have to start the engine, the pilot getting in, he start the engine. We have to check, okay, where is the position the accident happened? And uh, then we go there. But I think in Kitzbühel it's, uh, yeah, it's the best medical uh, standard uh, you can have. So here is the big question. If there is a serious accident, how long does it take from the moment a skier crashes to the moment he's in a hospital bed getting the best medical care? 
Uh, it depends on the medical care on the ski slope. Uh, but the next hospital is uh, yeah, two minutes uh, by flight. It's uh, Sankt Johann in Tyrol. When we have to hurry up and it's a really bad crash, I think we need uh, 20 minutes to make the whole medical care with the patient right now on the slope and then bringing him to the hospital. And we give uh, before a call, uh, everyone is waiting for, for the, the skier, for the racer, and they are well prepared. There's also a clinic in Innsbruck where, for example, Hans Grugger was taken after suffering a brain injury after a crash on the Mauserfalle jump back in 2009. So Reiner coordinates with a second helicopter to see what happens next. There's a second helicopter, uh, we call it a second helicopter, and it's near to Kitzbühel. We make here the, the primary uh, medical care for the patient. Then we bring him to the other helicopter and the other helicopter uh, makes the decision, OK, in which, uh, in which hospital we are going. Uh, uh, can we take the next one, as we had it uh, on Friday, that we go to Sankt Johann to the hospital or uh, go we to another hospital, maybe to the clinic in Innsbruck or something else. Reiner and his team of medics are, of course, hardened medics used to dealing with such things as traffic accidents or all sorts of scary situations. But still, I wanted to know, what's it like turning up to work on race day? Is he nervous about what might happen? It's a, a special situation. Uh, we are all who are working on the, on the helicopter, uh, 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 my guide is a, a paramedic uh, with a special training in uh, mountain rescue and uh, all doctors are, who are here working are anesthetists and emergency doctors. And this is our daily bread. Uh, but uh, when you wake up in the morning you have um, yeah, a little crumbling in the stomach uh, and uh, the best way to, to handle the situation uh, you make your standard procedure. You, you wake up, we, we're going uh, to the helicopter port, uh, we're doing a breakfast all together. We had a little small talk about our families, about the day before or something else. And then we check our, our whole equipment. Uh, everyone check his part of the helicopter. The pilot make his thing, uh, the paramedics make his thing, and I check the medication, and then we're safe. So it's pretty exciting how to hear from the different side of things. You, you know, you never hear from a the helicopter pilots or the medics really unless something goes drastically wrong so i thought it's quite interesting listening to you know how they sort of just take it in their stride you know this is exactly what they're sort of they're obviously trained to do and uh listening yeah, but they, they take it really seriously especially in austria because i'm not sure you remember um hannes lansinger in norway it took about seven hours or six hours until he got to the hospital up there and then he lost his leg Mm -hmm. So they, that is really something they're taking very seriously, specifically in, in middle Europe, I would say. Maybe. Yeah, well, I, I re remember that. We were, we were racing Europa Cup. I can't rem remember where it was, but we were racing Europa Cup shortly after that. And I think we were racing in Bansko and um, in Bulgaria. And we, we basically, I mean, I, I say we, I was just did what I was told. But we, the racers, said we weren't going to race unless there was a helicopter in resort on site um I, mean, I got told by one of the fast people what, what i was supposed to be doing <laughs> so I, I just agreed and, and said yes and, and uh, towed the line but uh, and but now you know there's there's two, i think there has to be two helicopters there so if somebody crashes and the helicopter goes well quite a, rightly as we saw <laughs> yeah exactly because those you know they had to be two separate helicopters for those two uh, injuries so uh rightly so and just for clarity, when you say we were racing Europa Cup, you mean you were racing Europa Cup and I was definitely not racing Europa Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say probably at uni by then, but who knows what I was doing. <laughs>
Yeah, sorry, we, me, we. Um, but should we talk about some results? Beat Foyts picked up the double, walked away with about a gazillion pounds for winning the, the races this, that weekend. But Foyts won the first downhill by 0.16 in front of Matthias Meyer with Paris in third, Johan Claret picking up fourth. In the second downhill, two days later, Foyts again took the uh, took the win with Johan Claret, the oldest man on a podium at 40 years old was in second and Maya picked up the last place on the podium in third. Gentlemen, I had a terrible picks series uh, and I started off pretty rubbish as well. I didn't do too great in the speed. Uh, I think Max Franz took care of that uh, <laughs> on the first day and set the tone for the weekend. Um, if, I was, to be honest with you, he was up uh, for quite a few splits until he decided he didn't want to go around any more gates. Um, so there are there are signs there, but it was quite telling that none of us picked Foyts and all season for a guy who'd gone best part of three years only missing one downhill podium to not get one all season or, or barely look like himself all season there were no signs that he was really ready to kick into that kind of form uh, and I don't know how much of it was the absence of, of Kilder uh, and how much of it was just his you know tons of experience kicking in but he looked back to his old self he looked like he wasn't having a weird Covid year he looked he looked like classic Beat Foyts just ripping it up uh, down down Kitzbühel, even though he'd never won there before. And then he got two in two days. It was the second race that I thought he was not going to get the double because he ended up uh, picking, what is he? He was like 0.6 back or something, wasn't he? Um, no, maybe it wasn't quite that far, but it was quite a long way. It was about 0.4 off at the exit of the of the flats. And I thought, oh, Johan Claret is going to take it. This is going to be Beat Foyts and he's not, nowhere near the double now. And then all of a sudden it was just like afterburners were, came on. Those head skis absolutely flew across that traverse and ended up, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how he ended up doing it. I felt quite sorry for Claret uh, in the end, especially as he ended up second, because I, I really didn't think Foyts was going to end up taking that second race. It was, it was a weird one because he is normally really fast at gliding and one of his slowest points was uh, on those flats when you're like oh maybe he's got the got the skis wrong today and then from that point onwards all he did was make up time uh yeah he looked absolutely flawless both days um I have no idea where he found the form from uh after everything else we've seen from him this year but that's it's, it's awesome really we said the speed discipline groups were going to be wide open after um uh, killed again, injured, uh, and uh, Mauro. So uh, yeah, it's going to make for an interesting last few races. Uh, Marcel, do you have what have you got to say about Foyt's epic double downhill victories? I mean, it was just so flawless, wasn't it? Like he looked so confident. I mean, I was actually quite surprised that Meyer came really close in the first race. I thought he would smash it by more, but I mean, winning that downhill or never winning that downhill and then twice in a row is just unbelievable. And I, th I think that was like the last bit of his career that was missing and now he has it. And actually, I'm really annoyed that I didn't pick him, but um, my girlfriend did because she started doing the predictions league as well. And I'm quite annoyed she's got more points than I have. So <laughs> we are talking before we came on air about how I used to think that the predictions league was a really nice addition. It made me 
you know, follow the racing more closely. But actually, I've realised all it does is pisses me off when my when my picks don't do very well, and I just end up. I was livid that like that my that Creekmire didn't pick up a downhill win uh, in the in the speed races, and you know, don't get me started on the on my ladies' tips for the speed races or even the the giant slalom. Just I don't know, set me off. It did. You need to be calmer, Ed, uh, and just pick more complete random people like I do, and then you're less surprised when they uh, <laughs> pick someone whose nickname is Crazy Something, and then they don't let you down. I'm actually, I actually stopped. I stopped watching when my pick's not doing well. I'm just like, oh, shit. I need to stop now. <laughs> Take yourself off for a quiet word. Remote control at the telly. I said, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it like a two-minute break, just just to calm down for a bit. <laughs> that was part of the reason why I was uh, had a, a couple of extra breaths when I was commentating on the Schladming race after Foss Solovar glossed his goggles and uh, and he was my pick. <laughs> I was just, just went went extra quiet for a second as I realised I was picking up zero points in the league. Sure, let's let's uh, try and crack on to the rest of the results. But Kriechmeier picked up the win in Super G. Uh, Odomat was second. Maya on the podium yet again. Uh, Luke Mayer picking up a top 10, looking like he's getting handy on the speed skis and Pintero managing 12th. At the set, we talk, talk, we, bleh, we spoke about this earlier. The set was pretty fast for a Super G. It was set by one of the Swiss coaches. It wasn't like, it, it should have had a couple more turns in it, shouldn't it? Like it was, it was very straight lining down. I mean, I know you can set whatever you want in Super G. But it would have been nice from my perspective to have a couple more turns just to give like some guys who might not be always on the on the speed skis some some chance to to pick up some points, some so you mean points. Pantero. You mean yeah. Pantero. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was my pick. So he was my pick, so I was a bit annoyed. But hey, no, it was I think Kriegmeier had a really tough weekend and he was absolutely delighted. Meyer obviously picking up three podiums and, and Odermatt was absolutely smashing it. So it was a, a good podium, but I, I mean, if they're talking about security and, and safety, um, they should have probably put up a couple more turns in there. Well, it was set by the Swiss coach. So you, you anticipate that was set with an eye on Foyts in theory, right? You, you would think so, but Foyts has, for someone so good, doesn't have a great record in Super G, to be honest. It wouldn't surprise me if they sent him more for Odomat um, than, than they did for Foyts, just in terms of he, he likes to go fast and he can do the big turns. It, do, it doesn't really matter that much to him. Um, but what, one person I did want to uh, make a, a, a call out for was uh, Matthew Bele, who started 50 in that Super G and, and finished in the top 10. I think he finished eighth. It was just an incredible ski. Um, when you know normally you'd say everyone else would have gone home but there was no one there in the first place so uh it's, it's not too bad but yeah that was an incredible ski somebody else who had a pretty good weekend was Innerhofer he picked up a couple of fourth places um back to those rock hard icy conditions that he revels in but he also needs them he's definitely not somebody that looks good on softer snow conditions so nice to see him come back from uh, a couple of seasons with injuries and not being anywhere near where he would expect or want to be, obviously. Um, but 
Yeah. How do you think Paris is looking on his on his comeback? Do you think he's nearly there? I'd say he's pretty. Yeah, I'd say he's pretty close. Um, he got bounced around a bit more than I was expecting for a Kitzbühel race. Normally, he's bouncing the mountain in return rather than <laughs> bouncing on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't. He's does. It just. He looks almost there. I'm not quite sure what's missing. I don't know whether it's that kind of endurance, like the the sustaining of the power that he has. Um, something's not quite there yet. Like he's he's back to contending, so you know, he's definitely. He's definitely there or thereabouts, but something just it just looks a little bit missing still. Marcel, what's your take on uh, on Paris's comeback? I think he's he has done pretty well actually. Um, I had him on the second downhill, so I was a bit disappointed again. Um, but <laughs> that's a different story. I, I thought he, I thought he skied really well, and it was like it was a tough race for everyone. Um, I'm sure he will be he will be ready to go when the world champs come around the corner. Um, there's one more downhill to go for him. So uh, I think he he might be actually getting his form right there, same as Innerhofer, depending on obviously the surface. But I felt Innerhofer was like kind of sneaking himself in there, like I, he went under the radar completely. I didn't even kind of watch out for him, but he did really well. And I mean the Italian team, well they are struggling a bit. So let's hope they can they can get to some good form for their for their um, world champs at home. Yeah, I mean they're only struggling on the men's side. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, clearly not on the underwoman's one. Um, no, yeah, he did. He was only 400s off the podium in, in Super G as well. So uh, pretty blooming close. Uh, let's head over to the ladies' race. Cramontana was the venue. Uh, they raced double downhill and a Super G just like the men. The start on the first day, on the Friday, they had to lower it after a heavy snowfall meant that the top of the racetrack was is quite open up there at the top so they um couldn't shift enough snow in time for for the races to go ahead but uh Goggia continued her downhill domination picking up the win Ledeco was in second point two off and Johnson uh, carried on that podium form and she was in third Vlahova actually picked up fourth thoughts about the I, I, downhill. I mean, Gotcha is just flying at the moment in downhill. Like, there is nothing that can stop her. How many did she win in a row? Five, four, five now? That's unheard of. Um, that's not, not even Lindsay Vaughn could do that, I guess. Um, so, that's really impressive. Ledechka, that she's an unbelievable skier. I think we have we've talked through it quite a few times. I picked her as well. So, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. And Breezy Johnson, who would have thought that she's like having such a good, such a good run in downhill for the whole season. Um, so fair play to her and fair play to the American team. I'm um, getting, getting some speed in there in the girls. The... I would say that she'd be getting tired of coming third, but then Ed picked her for the second day and she didn't come third anymore. So I know. Uh, uh, it's all your fault. Yeah, and I actually thought I was like, yeah, she's going to come third because she. I think she went into second, and then she got pushed down to third when Goo came down. I think it was like that, uh, and then like four other people came pushing down. So I went from being think actually, I think we were we were on the WhatsApp at that point, and my TV was a bit behind what was live apparently, and Ben was like made a comment about how. I wasn't getting any points and I was about to sort of reply <laughs> smugly saying uh, actually she's still in third and then I just saw like a green light on the last split I was like oh for god's sake um 
yeah so let's let's talk clearly ahead of its time (laughs) yeah seeing into the future uh not all the time obviously with those total points in the in the league (laughs) (laughs) i've still got a couple on you (laughs) Um, just a bit no not actually just yeah literally just a bit now i think it's about four points vlahova picked up fourth i think i'm not really sure what she's doing i know what she's doing she's trying to pick up points to, to take the overall and she wants to take the overall and she's come out and said and as has her coach come out and said that that is the main focus for this season if she one thing this season it's the overall not world champs not uh discipline titles it's all about the overall she started picking up some really good results in the speed events but her tech is definitely suffering which we'll talk about later um but uh, it, it's, it seems like she's going to be absolutely exhausted, isn't she? Doing all, doing everything. It's it's really difficult because when you've had people like Schifrin and Hersher dominating the Globes for so long, the overall like Marcel's eight in a row, Schifrin was six in a row or something like that until last year when Brignoni won because Schifrin took the last few months of the season off it almost becomes a bigger deal for everyone else when they think they've got a chance. Mm. To a certain extent, I think we saw it a bit with Christofferson and maybe a little bit of Pantero last year with the, uh, after, you know, we lost Hersher with there's Everyone's kind of scrambling for where can I pick up those extra points and it almost takes away from what they're really best at and that's what's got them competing all this time is, is being brilliant at, you know, their primary discipline. So in Vlahova's case, slalom and GS, whereas now I I don't know if it's quite costing them, especially this year with, with COVID and everything, maybe they're training, they just can't train enough for all those disciplines. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so tough, isn't it? Like you, she needs to pick up points because Goja is really close and Basino is really close, but they're kind of sticking to their disciplines, right? So they they have those two good ones, and then GS is, is really good, well for at least Gotcha and for Basino the downhill. But it's she looked really tired in all of the rest of the races, um, so I felt a bit sorry because it's a big and a stiff program for her. So I, as we as we said a couple of weeks back, it might not be the best the best choice to do all of it just give it a break for one or two races you're not going to lose out of much i would say maybe a couple points but then you will be fresh for the the races that actually count because gs you could have picked up a lot more points etc 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 yeah i mean you look at look at shifrin as the master of, of of picking events and really targeting some and and i i don't know hindsight maybe but you would have thought that without going and picking up a fourth place in you know, fourth place in the first downhill, DNFing in the Super G. Uh, I can't remember where she came in the second downhill. Without those, she may have picked up more points in Kronplatz because she would have been fresher because she did look tired at the bottom of Kronplatz. But it's, you know, you, you you never really know. But it's a long program, the downhill. You're doing two training runs. You've got two downhill races and a Super G. Uh, and then 48 hours later, you're expected to race GS. You, you're, you're not Superwoman. Like, it's it's really difficult to bring your a game that often and, and we're now it's pretty pretty hectic season yeah the first race Solden was then there was a big gap but basically since december it's it's been pretty non-stop for most of these athletes as well as all the the covid stuff and having to keep you know 
you're you, you can't probably relax as much as you you used to be able to where you go to a restaurant or you go out and clear your head and you, you know you do something just to give yourself a bit of a mental break as well it's quite intense i was speaking to dave riding about it and just says you know all the time you're conscious about doing something not silly but doing something that puts you at vulnerable of, of turning back a negative uh, COVID, uh, positive COVID test and so all of that considered it seems like an extra hard program to be to be sort of trying to run but ultimately if she picks up the if she picks up the overall globe and stays injury free job done by the look of it but by, by the sounds of what's coming out of of the Slovakian Blahova camp sounds like it's pretty good Move on to the second race. Elena Cortoni, fresh name on the podium for this season, in third. Lara Goot, who absolutely loves Cromontana, uh, that resort normally in terms of results, uh, was second. And Sofia Goggia, yeah, picked up another double downhill victory. Uh, Goot put herself a little bit in hot water by a couple of comments that she said, didn't she, Ben? She was talking about not being happy with the conditions. Yeah, there wasn't. She's not particularly big on social media, so it's not something like with uh, Manny Feller's comments the other week where you can just say something and the whole world's there's picking up on it. But I think I think she made a, a, a comment basically saying that the, she was disappointed with the, the conditions on, on the piece, that it wasn't hard enough and it was it was too soft. And, you know, you're, you're the speed racer uh, amongst us. I'm, I'm fairly sure you don't really want soft snow knocking about when you're trying to go as fast as you possibly can I didn't particularly like soft snow doing slalom and GS so adding a whole ton more miles an hour on top of your speed probably doesn't uh help if that if when you're setting your edge it's, it just, it's soft it's, yeah it's so changeable that's what happens isn't it with soft snow you, because some of it's been cleared off you don't know what you're getting so sometimes the the, the powder snow is gone deeper into the into the actual piece and it becomes bumpy or softer or you don't get the purchase you want and when you're you know you're racing sort of 60 70 miles an hour in in ladies downhill you need to be able to trust the surface that you're pressing against which i totally understand let's go on to i mean we'll talk about the rest of the sort of speed side of things coming up on the lady side in terms of anybody going to get Holder Goggia in terms of of catching her back up, but she does look head and shoulders above everybody else. That she has a very loose style. She has again sporting cliche, but one gear she just goes, doesn't she? She she has no thoughts of self preservation. She's not a particularly tactical skier. She's just on the seat of her pants and uh, and holding on for dear life. And and the it's spectacular and it's properly heart in mouth moments watching her ski down the downhill at the moment. It, it is, but you say that, but the, the two wins this weekend, no one looked like beating her, but they no. were 0.2 and 0.27 or 0.2 and 0.3, something like that. So they're not huge. It's like she's had wins before where she's best part of a second in front of the field. So this weekend was a weird one because at no point did it look like anyone was going to beat her. But at the same time, the distances or the gaps weren't, that big so there is definitely you, you can see that the likes of Nadetska uh, and, and Gubrami and, and Suter when she when she refines some of her form that she had earlier in the season they all know that they can go there but they know if they make a single mistake they're not catching Goggia because as you said she's she's just going to go flat out but counter side to that is if Goggia makes one mistake she's 
probably in a net somewhere. Um, <laughs> so, you know, because she pushes it that hard. So you said a couple of weeks ago, Ed, you're like, I, do, I'm, I get nervous picking her because it just, you almost hide in behind the sofa watching her ski. So yeah. it's, it's, it's brilliant excitement, but dangerous excitement. Mar- Marcel, anything to add? No, I, I'm actually, I agree with all what you said, guys. Um, but I want to, I want to point out quickly that good Birami, she is flying again. Like she had such a good weekend. And I personally didn't think that she was, had, well, she always had that potential and has that potential, but she was really struggling last year. Um, picked up maybe a couple of good results, but now she seems to be really finding form, like being on top of her game in almost every race. She's so good to see because I love the style of her skiing. Like she is, she is an amazing skier, always was. So that was, that was really cool to see. It was right before the COVID break or, or finish of the season. Was it like the last two downhills? Well, she something. picked up double win here in Cramontana. Yeah, that's it. so she hadn't done anything for quite a few years, and then had that like mm. double win, and we're like, yeah. oh, is she is she coming back? And then this year she's kind of been there or thereabouts in most of the race. She's had a couple of bad days, but you know it's the ski race and everyone does. But, um, but it is brilliant, Marcel, to to see her competing because there are other people that were at the top and when they've come back from a bunch of injuries they just don't quite look like they've got like Anna Veith when she came back from or, or her injuries never quite looked like that dominant champion whereas Gubrami looks like she's got that hunger and that speed back again and yeah. and th- I think the thing to really note is she picked up downhill podium a super G podium and then a giant slalom podium so it's not even like you know, she's she I mean, she loves Cran Montana, but but she's doing it in GS now. She's podiumed already earlier on in the season in GS as well. And, and seemingly, you know, it's not just about the hill now. It's the confidence and and uh, and it's great to see. Let's have a quick look at the Super G. So Brinoni back on the podium, which has been a little while since she's been on the podium. Uh, Tamara Tipler again on the podium for her, which is another great result. And Lara Goot won by nearly a second which was pretty impressive. Uh, Sophia Goggia DNF'd after making a bit of a rookie error. And I think that harks back to the, the sort of you, you watch behind the sofa when, when she's on piste. But yeah, missing the last gate had a moment where she was about to sort of end up on, on her backside and yeah, managed to DNF. Someone else she would have been second. Really Sorry, my similar. point. My point was she would have been second. Sorry, carry on. Sorry, carry on yeah, I was going to say, didn't, didn't someone else do something really similar, just get the line completely wrong off yes. that second to last gate and have to like throw them sideways over the couple of different pictures in my head? I've watched, there's so many races over the weekend. I lose track of which one was which, but there was, was it, was it Godfrey that ended up like basically laying backwards on the floor? Yeah, trying my, to make the gate yeah my knees hurt it. just watching her watching yeah her, I think. but someone else did made the exact same mistake and i remember looking at where and as they approached the jump go where where are you going and then just <laughs> seeing them sail off to the side going, that's definitely not the line you want off that jump um but i the, the only note i wrote at the start of that uh super g similar to what you'd said about the men i i just put this looks straight as hell um <laughs> So, so clearly one for the people who enjoy going fast, which Lara Barami re- really is at the moment. Well, it was set um, by an Italian, Ben. It was set by one of the Italian coaches. So they would have been, I don't know, looking for a Goggia triple, maybe. I, I assume, one would assume. Oh, you, would, you would think so, yeah. I just wanted to pick up on Eskela Detska. She had that crash in the second downhill. 
So then to come back for the Super G, I thought took a, a, a lot of courage because it wasn't a small crash she'd had in, in the downhill. And she didn't really look fully confident at high speed in the, in the Super G. And you can understand that, but it definitely took a lot to come back after that crash the next day. I was actually wondering where she was going in the downhill. She was, that was completely the wrong direction she went mm. there. That was a bit of a rookie mistake as well. About it was not just her, like quite a few people. And I was like, oh my God, the next one's going to end up in there. Well, Stephanie Veneer had a week, didn't she? She went in the nets twice. On the first downhill, she went in and had to have stitches, I think, in a, in a chin or something. She was racing with a huge plaster on and then basically did it again the next day. I, I mean, the Austrians had a, had a bit of a shocker. Like uh, Nina Orte picked up a big injury, which is which is a bit devastating because she is such a good skier, always comes back from injuries. But this one is a is a really big one, unfortunately for her. They needed that. They needed that uh, a third place, uh, second place, sorry, that Tamara Tipler got because they had not had a good weekend so far for all the form that Siebenhoff is showing in. GS. GS. She is not showing it. I keep going on commentary about how where the world champs is. She got a double win there. She doesn't look like she's going to win a downhill ever again the way she's skiing at the moment. But for some reason in GS, she's she she's skiing really well. So it's re- it's really confusing trying to work out what uh, what's going on there. Yeah, the Austrians are having a, a similar to the Norwegians. They're both having an absolute nightmare for injuries this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tough. I wonder sometimes when you see, especially early on in a race where there's edge marks go in one direction and you end up second you're guessing second guessing yourself slightly about where the tracks are going versus where you think you should be going and sometimes i think on blind rollers that can be the downfall where you're like no i think i'm supposed to be going this way and everybody else looks like they're going that way uh yeah but she seemed to go into a different ski area that time <laughs> pro, pro tip if the edge marks point towards the nets don't follow them <laughs> Yeah, but you got that in the back of your mind, Ben. You're like, oh, maybe they know something. You forget my racing history is, is following a bobsleigh track down a mountain. It was never just an edge mark. It was just you follow where these holes take you. That's it. You just pushed out the gate and just held on and, and, until you got to the bottom, right? I pushed it, yeah, and then jumped into my bobsled. That was it. It was like a cool well, running episode every time I raced. Well, Liz Rue is commenting on your skiing as well. <laughs> yeah, Com- comparing me to Benny Wright, yeah. <laughs> He's a bit slower. Um, Vlahova made a bit of a, an error. She had bib one and DNF'd. So unfortunately for her, didn't pick up any points. Um, so that was a bit of a shame for her, obviously talking about how she traveled such a long way. Uh, on to the women's GS, which was the last of the events for the ladies, which was on Tuesday day over in Kronplatz in Sudtirol, Italy. Marta Bassino was only in third. Uh, Lara Goot was in second and Tessa Blumin Worley picked up the yeah. win with, with <laughs> Ben picking her. And you thought I'd cursed her. Uh, she's back. I knew it. I just like Marcel's tech picks for Pantero, you're just I've just marked you down for Worley for the rest of the season. Is that right? <laughs> that's, that's probably a good shout. Um, if we're not allowed to pick Pacino, that will probably will be my next pick every time. <laughs> It was quite. It was quite a tough race over there. I'm not really sure. It it looked. It's got very steep middle section, bottom section to there. But the ladies made it look like hard work down the bottom. I think the snow conditions were potentially a bit changeable, which meant that it cut up and it was a bit. It was quite bumpy after a, a small amount of races. 
Bassino, I don't know. It was a bit of a shame for her in a home race to not pick up a win, considering how dominant she has been. Uh, and judging on the the podcast predictions league, Bassino was favourite by a country mile. I think it was probably about six people that didn't pick Bassino for the win, and we were three of us. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I think she was quite lucky to pick up that podium because she did not look comfortable at all on that race and that was like the race itself it was really tough and it didn't particularly look good and that's not because the the girls didn't ski well or whatever it was just rough um but Bazzino because a lot of other people were really struggling and she struggled maybe a bit less in the second run I thought that's why he picked she picked up a podium well, um, she I wouldn't have picked she wouldn't have though well, would she? no would no with my my predictions league pick coming down five more gates, I would have picked up the win there, right? But I thought the only girl who looked really well and really good was actually Tessa Wally. You could just see her like flying down the mountain. She didn't scatter anything. She was like always going really nicely over the bumps, whether the other girls, they were like thrown around quite a lot and she didn't. And that's why she, she picked up the win there. Somebody that we've got to talk about is Michaela Schifrin. Lee, what was she? Was she leading? No, second, wasn't she after the first run? And then that second run was. I, I have to try and tread a little bit carefully because I'm a huge Michaela Schifrin fan, uh, and I am. She's probably listening. Yeah, well, firstly, she's definitely listening because I, I I hear that she doesn't go a day without checking in on what we've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I. I just couldn't, the skiing was just so far away from what she can do on a bad day. She can ski way better than she did on the second run. I don't know what to expect from her going from race to race at the moment. I feel like she's, you know, she shows us glimpses of good sections and makes some nice changes. And sometimes you're like, she rips a few turns. You're like, yes, Schifrin is back. And then follows up with something a bit crap and you're like oh no just you're like oh come on just carry on with doing what you were doing as you know a couple of gates ago but she plummeted on that second run and looked looked pretty dejected at the bottom of it i guess she's probably as frustrated as uh, as all Schifrin fans are because we want to see the best from her but also it's like when when the courses are nice and smooth as they are in the first run usually for those girls I think she's almost at her best but when it gets a bit rougher and bumpier and her maybe having not the self-confidence that she used to have for now it just gets a bit scattered and I think that's the main issue I don't think like there's much wrong with her skiing it's it's I generally put it down to her self-confidence if she would be more confident she wouldn't be bumped around and she probably would be right up there with Tessa Wally not being not shutting down any any turns and that's what I that's what I think about it can you imagine being that good that if you have a really bad day and come forth (laughs) ridiculous we've talked about it a bunch of times and she's probably sick of hearing it from people she does listen to uh, let alone us Um, (laughs) what are you trying to say <laughs> you said she wasn't listening. Um, if she's listening. Maybe she can come on a podcast once. We would. We would absolutely love to have her inside. Yes, Marcel, exactly. Make it happen. Well, we've got the, we've got the World Cup contacts. Um, I, don't, I don't, unfortunately, but I'll. Maybe we should make something happen here. But it's it's such a strange one because 
you're right. There's been a couple times where we've thought she looks like she's coming back to her best. And then just it does. It looks like she's re that either doesn't trust her power or just doesn't have the power that she used to have because it's not like she's not gone down thirtieth in a race before. She's been doing it in GS the past you know six seasons. So for to her to look so uncomfortable has got to just be confidence. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just not getting in the training um, that she would have previously done. Um, from everything that happened last year and obviously all of the restrictions around training this summer. But I, I don't know, maybe it's just going to take the world champs to just kick her into gear and just go, you know what, I have to win this race. It's not, it's not a season-long thing. This is, this is it. This is just the world champs. And maybe it'll just kind of kick her into some kind of overdrive and she'll just wipe well, the got, floor with everyone. Well, you've got to hope, haven't you? Because we want to see, we, you know, we want to see the best. We want to see what she's got to offer um, and, and really challenge, challenge them and bring, you know, Bacino's been ripping in GS and it'd be just nice to see, uh, see Michaela doing, you know, close, even close to what we know she can do. On to the final event from this incredibly long race series, uh, the night slalom in Schladming, the court just would have felt insane for those guys on the po uh, at the race sorry alexi pantero somehow found his way onto the podium um marcel you can you can somehow come, you can come at me on that one in a second uh clever noel in second and marco schwarz who's become the most consistent man on the slalom tour in first uh, marcel the floor is yours I have to say that second run from Pintero was really good. Like it was really good, specifically at the bottom. Like he was, he was yeah. flying. So was Schwartz. Both of them were. The first run, and I, I'm still trying to get my head around what happened, not to Pintero, but in general, because it seemed like the first two, three, four people had a really, they had an advantage, I think, because they had like a Massive. bit of snow on a bit of snow on top. It wasn't as icy as after as it was afterwards. And you could see literally from bib six, seven, whatever, down to 20, they were properly struggling. And I've barely seen that. And it was actually quite fascinating to watch. And it was even more fascinating how the second turned around. Like, I mean, who would have expected that result? Not me. <laughs> clearly <laughs> who, who did you pick it uh, the, the guy that wanted to ski without goggles because he's such a lad that'll <laughs> be <laughs> uh, Sebastian Forsolovic I mean to come forth and ski basically from the top of the steep to the finish on the second run without goggle lenses down schlabbing in a blizzard really impressive in, in, in a, a blizzard, blizzard. <laughs> it's really impressive that is really impressive <laughs> Um, I did. Did you guys see it when he was skiing? I didn't see it. I uh, only saw it. It was only the replay. Yeah, yeah, the replay. Yeah, I think I think the director helped us all out there because I was on commentary going, I can't believe he's annoyed, really annoyed that he'd not knock on the podium. Uh, and then I, you know, saw the thankfully saw the slow mo where the goggle lenses were pinged off. Uh, he's he's skiing like he can't see where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would have expected the commentator picking it up, like just pointing it out. <laughs> Especially the expert commentator. Oh, yeah, especially the expert. The conditions were really interesting, Marcel. So I 100% agree with you. Uh, my take on it was that there... So we heard that in the build-up to Schladming, the, from the people that were in Schladming whilst we were racing in Kitzbühel, 
were saying how slick it was and how it was bulletproof icy, how it was going to be a pro, you know a proper schladming injected glassy race piece. Uh, and then we got there and the messages we were getting from inspection, I was speaking to Jai, who's Dave Riding's technician, um, and Nick Fellows was talking to a couple of his mates who were on, on the inspection and saying, actually, it turns out that it's grippier than we expected. So I sort of deduced from that is the fact that on inspection, it looked like it was grippier with that bit of moisture in the air. Um, but that grippy layer came off after a few races so the bibs sort of from, yeah, sort of six or seven back to you know, the high teens or 20s had all dulled their edges, had gone for a grippy setup. And then it, it, you, the, the technicians realised and the coaches realised that actually it's gone back to what we thought it was. That top layer's come off and we're now back to bulletproof, icy, glassy, slick as you like snow. Uh, and those guys made adjustments to their equipment because all of a sudden, you, you know, from seven, they were a couple of seconds back. And at one point it looked like Dave, I think Dave skied down into like ninth place. And then it looked like for a minute, he wasn't going to get a second run. You just. Yeah. I, I can, I can recall a commentator on Eurosport, the expert saying, Oh, this is going to be a really tight race. And yeah. then people coming down like three seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I did. I did say, uh, what was it? Christofferson was like 2.6 off. Like, like, no way he's going to make it. Like, <laughs> He may as well pack his bags. He's never making that. We just <laughs> blackout was like one point seven. There's no way it's going to be two point six. And then all of a sudden it was. And then I th- and then I think I said something about him be- get back out of the van because he's gonna he's gonna get a second run. But it was it was tight. I mean Laurie Taylor as well was very close to getting in there with his skiing until the I think he was right up there on those top couple of splits, wasn't he? Yeah, he was skiing. He was skiing really well. Um, I was really, really disappointed for him. He had a a, a cracking, uh, cracking effort. Um, but that, you guys have been talking about it, and I, I it was the same. I was watching it again. How have we gone from you know fella looking like he was cruising on his run to you know guys in the top ten being two seconds off him? I was like, what? What is this? Yeah. I've never seen people drop so far back. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just it just kind of leveled out uh, in 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 the kind of early twenties, and all of a sudden people started really putting in great times. Um, the American team, especially, they had a, a, a quite a few. I think they had three guys all come in from from pretty high numbers to make that second run. It, it didn't quite go for them on on the second run. There was some uh, quite snowy finishes for a couple of those guys. Um, uh, especially, I can't remember which which one it was. Was it Alex Lever into the finish area? Yeah, yeah. He did the big, the big <laughs> that that big turn three gates from home, and then just did the big kick out through the finish, and then just landed in the powder bit of the finish area. That was a that was a, some brilliant photos uh, on there. What a way to cap your your uh, first second run. I actually also have never seen two guys hiking twice in in the second run. That was quite entertaining as well. <laughs> Um, it's you never watch me race myself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I hiked three times in a slalom once, and my coach was like, "What are you doing? Please stop! <laughs> Just stop!" <laughs> very Austrian. It's very inefficient of you. <laughs> the um, yeah, those guys. It was it was because it was a really good day for the Americans because they they don't really have any 
tech skier, tech, or slalom skiers at the moment. And so uh, Nick Fellows had got a message from one of his American counterparts after the first run saying, you know, it was a good day, good run, three Americans from high numbers getting in the second run. And then they just went <laughs> zip out, zip out. And then Lever had that thing where it looked like he was, yeah, wheeling his way and just about made it. I like the fact that he had, you know, he found the sort of humour in it and uh, with a snowy face was also just made it. Um, what did you reckon of uh, Dave's performance? We haven't talked too much about him for, for a change. Um, we haven't made it the Dave Ryden Appreciation podcast today. Um, he, he said didn't have a great day and it wasn't quite there. It didn't quite look like he had the, the zip he normally has. But I guess if you're saying that there wasn't that confidence in the grip because it went into an ice rink, uh, uh, that perhaps it just it just knocked his confidence a bit on the hill. I mean, it. I think... It was a really tough race for everyone. Um, he didn't. He didn't quite look like he had the speed that he had in Flachau or in in Adelboden. So I think he was. It was an, a decent result for him. I mean, he even said it was a decent result. It wasn't on top, but thinking about it, you know, you have like five, ten better turns, and you're you're up there in the mix, right? It, it takes just a tiny bit that might not be working as good as it should be. And specifically talking about the conditions, he was not favoritized in, in the first run either. So he was just right there where, where it was really tough. So I think he was it was an all right, um, all right run. I'm I'm hoping he can he can pick up some good results in, in the next two slaloms and then be ready for the world champs because I would love for him to make a medal there. That would be the best thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to Dave after Schlagring and he just said um that, that you know he was pleased but it was he was a bit too tense and that was what sort of meant that he couldn't find the flow down there um but he said he said that uh, he would have been really happy with a top 10 but you can't complain about a top 15 um and then he said seven years ago a top 15 would have been a diamond for british skiing <laughs> and and i said and i just said that it's his own fault so <laughs> Stop getting podiums. <laughs> well, well, if you if you take him out of the occasion, it would be still diamond, really. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. Do you think perhaps he's putting too much time into his predictions? I think so, Ben. I think I think he <laughs> should do less podcast predictions and more World Cup podiums because he managed to pick up. I think the second best point score, joint second best point score of, of the series, and frustratingly good at not only ski racing but also talking about ski racing as well especially in like downhill which he has no clue uh, and women's skiing which he probably has even less dave you should start a podcast you get way more <laughs> listeners than us don't tell him that don't tell him that dave you're officially been disqualified from the predictions league <laughs> having too much knowledge you're out you're banned but yeah it, it was a pretty a pretty impressive set of races and and to be honest, we are over halfway through the season, really, in terms of race numbers. Fizz have done flipping well to get as many races as we have in the current climate with with everything that's going on. I think actually, I mean, the big obviously the, the big shame was Vengen. But you barely you barely hear about COVID like during ski races. I mean, you you hear about someone picked it up a couple of months back, but other than that, like there is, you barely hear any news. And I guess in this case, no news is good news, right? So they've done an, an exceptional job with all their bubbles, etc. So 
Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tough. It feels like they're walking a tightrope every every week on you know, like like we had with Veng and then, you know, saying there's too many, you know, there's too many people, there's a local regional outbreak um of of COVID. I don't it, they're doing a brilliant job. I, I just get nervous every week that I'm just going to wake up one day and look on the computer and it's going to be like, oh, this, this next set of races is cancelled or the one after is cancelled. I really just hope they can get the world champs off. Yeah, well, uh, that's, I kind of fear for the season, I mean, I'm not, off no basis other than what's going on in my own head, that I fear for Science. the tour after <laughs> the world champs because Marcus Waldner, when he came and spoke to us on the podcast, said, if they only get the world champs done this season, that is a good season. And considering we are touch wood, pretty much nearly there, barring catastrophe, we should be okay. Yeah, I kind of worry that they may just sort of go that, you know, we've done it. We've, we've got a load of racing done and we've got the world champs done and we're going to pull the pin. I mean, I, like I say, no basis. That is not off any inside info because I seriously don't get any. I, I just got a I just got a message from Boris Johnson asking me if I can ask you if you want to come to Downing Street for the next press conference tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. What's going on at the Fizz World Cup tour? <laughs> the British public love it. Um, I need to do an interview where I make something up. Apparently, you're really good at it. Can you tell me? <laughs> um, no, I think if there'd been a few more kind of cases, I think. The, where I think the Swedish team had that that trouble in the first yeah, I mean that's really women's first end. races yeah. in, in in Levy yeah apart from that you know the Swiss guys missed a couple races yeah, Italians true. missed a little bit but really very little when you think of how big this is globally it's not spread. and how many it's other sporting through, events yeah, yeah how many other sporting events have been impacted or or cancelled by it the tour have done a really good job of keeping everything going and provided the situation doesn't change in the build-up and during the world champs I, th- I think they'll be okay to carry on if they if they're you know the, the worst thing that could happen is if there's a kind of outbreak at the world champs and then they probably would just yeah let's hope the they, season but let's hope they're not mixing and mingling too much at the world well, that's champs. the thing that's the thing they've been they've been able to keep the tour separate both from the men's and the women's but also largely between the tech and the speed and obviously we come together in, in a fortnight in a fortnight's time to where everybody's going to be all together so i mean but they you know fizz have been smart about where they put the races and how they moved them around and made sure that they're not staying in the same places so let's hope uh, and i know from the british side of things they're being very careful about bring who they're bringing in and what bubbles they're entering and what staff are coming in extra and what staff aren't allowed to come in and all that sort of stuff yeah, Dave mentioned it when we spoke to him after that Adelboden one. That when he was when they were still planning to go to Wengen, he was saying, you know, the, the speed guys were going to be up in the town and the, the tech guys were, were being kept further away. It would yeah, Grindelwald. surprise me yeah. if if for the world champs there's something similar. I know that Nick said on commentary that the the speeds at the start of the week and the the techs at the end end of the the schedule. So it may be that for those purposes, they'll they'll probably be able to be in you know, far enough apart that we don't have any of those concerns. Yeah, but also the athletes are really, they're really clued up on it and they are, you know, they don't want to miss any races. So I know from, again, from the British side of things, and it'll be the same across the board that, you know, the athletes are taking real ownership of of everything that's going on as well to make sure that, you know, no, we can't have so-and-so coming in or no, I don't want to stay near them because they could 
bring it in and that's me out for two weeks so but uh, yeah, but before we go, before we start looking ahead to what's coming up, we had a retiree. Julian Lizaru has hung up his boots, uh, put up very funny sort of classic Lizaru type of uh, thing on social media, uh, announcing his retirement. Uh, so if you haven't found it, it's on Instagram. Uh, just search for Julian Lizaru. Um, or you can probably just search it on the web and you'll see it as well. But yeah, it was a very, very good video. Is, he's such an exciting guy to watch ski. I know he's obviously retired now, so we're not going to watch him ski anymore, but he always brought a lot of passion. We've talked about him the entire time we've been doing the podcast there, like the, the last like, three, four years. His enthusiasm for ski racing is is infectious. And that's you don't you don't keep going until you're 14. You see Johan Clary and those guys, uh, some of the older guys still ripping. And you can see why, because they just love the sport so much. And he, he you know, he, he had, I think maybe things three wins he had on the World yeah, Cup three, tour, yeah. nine nine podiums. And when you think of over twenty odd years, maybe that's not great. But he's always been. You've always known he was there or thereabouts, even if he wasn't. You know, in with a chance of winning, you always wanted to watch him ski, and that that's the mark yeah, of someone skiing. that. Yeah, and he's skiing with arguably. The best skier, you know, the best tech ski racer of all time. So, or one of the certainly, certainly high up there. Anyway, I always remember him and him and JV Grosh coming on the tour. Like everyone was watching their videos. Like they were, they were just at that time where they were really like that was unbelievable skiing of both of them. And I think Grosh won like five races in a row. He might be the next one to retire at some stage. But the French guys, they really revolutionized how slalom is being done. And and Lizarou was one of those guys doing it. I, my only worry with him retiring is what that leaves for Grange because I said it the other day on comms, but you have the likes of Armart and Kuse, Jansrud and um, Svindal. You know, you have these double acts and you have these guys that have grown up ski racing together uh, and that it's not going to be the same on tour for Grange anymore. It won't be. It, it, it's going to be it's going to be very different for him and it may sound like it's a a it shouldn't really have an effect because obviously it's an individual sport it doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing around you as long as you ski fast but i think it's going to have I, I think it's going to have a really big effect and whether we see that in results or not but i think it's going to be have a real big effect on, on what happens with him for the rest of his career i wouldn't be surprised to see lizrou ending up in that setup at some point in the future um he might want to just completely just go away from the sport and put his feet up but he's always seemed to love it so much i wouldn't surprise be surprised to see him back yeah either. but i can't yeah i can't see him doing that especially with like tessa Worley, his fiance still racing I, I, you can't there's no way that you could just step all the way out of it and uh, and not be involved in it with your wife to be still so heavily involved surely yeah i mean like I thought he would be he'd probably be a good coach, right? He is probably he's really like frenetic, fanatic about ski racing, and he has the knowledge. Everyone would look up to him. I think he, that's a pretty good, pretty good starting point for a coach. Let's because we've babbled on quite long enough. Let's have a look at what we're doing this coming weekend. So the women are in Garmisch. They race downhill in Super G. On Saturday and Sunday, 30th and 31st, uh, the men have a double slalom in Chamonix. 
Um, and then it's the last set of races for the ladies before World Champs. The men go to Garmisch the following weekend and the, and the ladies have a bit of time to recuperate. So it gives Vlahova a chance to recharge those batteries. I'm trying to work out how best to do this without <laughs> causing issues. What I think is... You're about to say, I need to have a think about who I'm going to pick. No, because I know that we're all going to want to pick Goggia for the downhill, aren't we? So... No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, you can go first then. You can't, I go, you can't, go, go for Rami. You can't, you can't pick Pantera for a women's team. <laughs> <laughs> I go good, good for Rami. Okay, so you're going good for Rami for downhill. Um, ben, you can go next. Uh, can I go first in the Super G? <laughs> no, you don't get to go first in the Super G. Who I'm going to go first in the Super G because I'm going last in downhill. <sighs> oh, so, wait, so who's gone? God, Godier and Gooper, aren't they? No, no Godier's not gone yet. Oh, I'll take, no, no one can pick her. No. No, yes. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> really? But what are the chances, if you think about it, winning five times in a row, what is the chance she's going to win a six? That's like, on all right, so how then, you will good odds on that. So then, so, so we can pick her. All right, go ahead. Ben. Me or you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take Godja. Yeah. <laughs> You're going Godja. Yeah. Who were you going to go if you couldn't go Godja? Don't I tell had... him. Don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had three names written down because I foresaw this being the same problem. Um, <laughs> I had Suter and Johnson written down. My other two names. If we I know, that's, to pick that, I mean, those. That's the that's the choice, though, isn't it? Suter, you uh, you've got to go. Suter, you've got to go. She she's got to step back up and and go. Um, I'm going to go Gubrami for the Super G. That was quick. Yeah, because I went last. Uh, ben. Uh, all right, let me cross one off that list. Uh, I'm going to say Brignone back on the podium again for the Super G. Are you going for the Esther? I'll just go for Gotcha. Oh, he's gone for Gotcha. <laughs> oh. I, think, I think now yeah. it's a Super G run. Now it's her time in Super G. Five Super Gs in a row now. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish. Rubbish. Um, okay, right. So that was quite quick. Well done, us. Let's go for Slaloms. <laughs> I'm not going to go pancho. first. I'm not going to go first. Okay. It, can't, it can't have double pancho. It's not going to win both races. Too. Ben, you haven't gone first yet. Who are you going for? Pick one. Go, go first race. Who are you going for? Noel on home snow. Marcel? No, you go next. Uh, Schwartz, race one. Um, I go Solvag first. Okay. And in the second not, one, I go Pintro. Not, not Manny. No, I'm not not quite sure what's going to happen there. Okay, so you're going Pintero uh, race two. Yeah. Ben? That means I get Schwartz. Yay. You're going Schwartz, are you? Yeah, that was oh, good. That was the two that I wanted in the order that I wanted. Hey, Dave. I can't do that to Dave. <laughs> I can't do it to Dave. I want to go for Solovag. But, but he keeps letting you down. <laughs> he's letting me down and then I don't pick him and he wins. So I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. I, I'm quite tempted for him. I'm quite tempted for Daniel Yule because I feel like he needs something big and he needs it fast. But that I, I need the points. So Manny, you got Strasser. Yeah, I'm not going to go Strasser either because I feel like he's now off the boil. He was on a really good run. He was on a really good streak. And I feel like he's broken the streak. And I think the streak was what was keeping those performances really good. You haven't picked your big man, Ramon, for a good season and a half now? Yeah, I've, 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 I've lost the love 
I'm... You're, you're running out of people in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got Christopherson that no not one's picking anymore. Not going for him. Um, He's won a slalom this year. I really want to go for Gastrine, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Fella race two. Oh, Schwartz and Fella. Well, you could have saved about five minutes. You just picking the first one you thought about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. Who knows? I'm rubbish at this anyway, so who cares? <laughs> I mean, you might be only just in front of me, but you are still in front of me. Yeah, I'm I've just I'm just inside the top 30. I think I'm joint 30th, so I'm going down first on the second I've, run. I've, <laughs> I've hit some mid-season <laughs> form just in time peaking in time for the world champs. Marcel's dropping like a stone and I'm peaking at the right time. I feel like what we actually should do, just as a suggestion, we should have a, a overall World Cup title for the predictions league, but we should also have a champion for the world champions predictions league like have yeah. a separate league yeah. just for the world champs yeah i mean how many prizes do you think we've got to give out Marcel? yeah pa- powder hound uh, their pockets are only so deep <laughs> <laughs> and mine as well i'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll I mean, chip in i'll chip in for the prize as well oh here we go big baller i'll chip in i hear you've got a really nice massage chair that you could uh, put up I, know. As a prize. I know i could actually i mean if anyone wants to have a, a ski racing World Cup bib, they can have one of mine. Oh, here we go. That's a good price for the world champs. What about that? Don't, don't, the... don't be giving those away, Marcel. It's a priceless well, artifact. I, I only keep two. The rest, I mean, no no offence, but those two I'm not going to give away, but the rest there I'm happy to do. All right, cool. That's a, that's an awesome prize. Okay, so the mini, the mini league that we'll go into a bit more detail, but the mini league for the world champs, but except for Dave, Dave doesn't get it because he has enough himself. So. Yeah, and Dave doesn't give any of them away either. He he holds on to all of them. He keeps his grubby mitts all over them. Don't give them away. <laughs> um, we'll pressurise him into giving one away. Don't you worry. Yeah, that's good. Uh, thank you, Marcel. That's very that's uh, very generous of you. I mean, it, it's not going to be in of us. So well, I'm not going to wear it at home. So I um, <laughs> much rather give it away. You've not been watching enough of those lizard videos. Uh, he's, he's always wearing them around his house. Uh, you certainly can't fit into any of your race bibs now, either. Anyway, I actually, I, I remember when my dad was the technician for Hans Peter Buras and he won the gold medal, Olympic gold medal. He promised me the bib, but he lost it. I was so angry. I was about ten years old, and I was so excited to get that bib, but I did never got it. So, I've got, I've got a couple of ideas where they could be. None of which are broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's give that one. <laughs> um okay guys uh, anything to add before we let these people go <laughs> enjoy the racing uh, thanks very much guys uh, until next time goodbye for now <laughs>